Uh, Let's enter into the word. Uh, And as we do, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who emboldens and invigorates and brings life to this word in each of our own lives. Father, I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to your spirit. Speak to us. We enter into this room from different points of view, from different situations, and we need to hear from you in our unique way, and you will speak to us, and we thank you for that. Father, I pray that you will take my words, my feeble words, and you will fill them with your Holy Spirit. Give them your power, because without you, I am just a man, and with you, you can give us the truth. We dedicate this time to learning from you, and we thank you, Father. We want your will in this time. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. For the next several weeks, we are going to be living in the first in the book of First John. Okay, so this is the epistle, which is a fancy word that just means letter. We are going to be living in this first letter from the uh, writer John. Okay, this is the Apostle John. It is the same one who wrote the book of John, which we have been in for the last um, several weeks leading up to Easter. Um, and then where we were last week when we um, celebrated Easter. So we're continuing. John's just the one who's going to be speaking to us up until we get close to Pentecost, all right? Um, but we are going to be looking at this first letter of John. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, it's towards the end of the New Testament, uh, and you can find that. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screen uh, as we get uh, to that place when we read that. So John has written this uh, letter... And he's written it to a group of Christians who have started to follow a teacher that we would call a false teacher. This is somebody who is talking about Jesus in a different way than uh, the apostles talk about Jesus. Uh, And this particular vein of teaching was that Jesus was not God incarnate, which basically means God in human form on earth living out. That Jesus was not God basically. And this is a very, very hot topic for the church. Um, And the church has done a really good job at this point of trying to take any of these sort of breakaway groups and bring them back into the the corporated body. Now, the church is not corporated in like, this isn't the Roman Catholic Church yet. It's just the believers. Uh, And and they, they did a really good job of trying to re-educate people who had been led astray by these different teachers, okay? Okay? And so this is one of these one of these letters, right? Now, the thing about the epistles is or any letter really is it's like hearing a phone call that you only get to hear one side of, right? So how many of you when you listen to uh your significant other on the phone, you try to figure out what the conversation is about just from whatever they're saying. Um, and then you, but you know, because you're a little impatient, you don't want to wait till they tell you what they just were talking about. Um, I am definitely one of those people. I will listen to the conversation Moira is having, and I try to figure it out. I like to do it as a bit of a puzzle for myself. Um, and I'm just, you know, I just like to know things. So anyway, um, that's like what the epistles are, is we are seeing only one side of a conversation. Most of the letters written um, in the New Testament, uh, which are bulk, 
the bulk of them are written by Paul, is he is answering questions or, or problems that we're just guessing at. Or we have pretty good, we make pretty good educated guesses. Not that we're, you know, we have no idea. But based on whatever they're answering in the letter, we try to figure out what it was that the problem was that they're dealing with. And so that's what we've done here in John. The problem is, and you will see, and not very far into this reading, that John wants to reaffirm, reaffirm that Christ is God. And we're going to talk about that because, it, and for John, that is, I mean, that's the point of his whole gospel. His whole gospel is about letting people know that Jesus is God. Okay, that He's the Messiah, but not just the Messiah; He is God. Okay, that's what he wants everyone to know. All right. As we read, we're going to reference back to the Gospel of John a couple times today, um, because without the Gospel, um, some of the stuff John says is it, it sort of comes up a little weak. But when we know that it is founded in the Gospel, we know that the readers would know the Gospel of John, they would know what he's referring to, um, it gives it all the strength and foundation it needs to make the message across. And we're gonna, we'll, we'll show what those are as we read. So, let's look at the book of John. Not John. I apologize. I'm going to do this multiple times today. I caught myself every time in first service, but I've already messed up once. The, the book of First John, chapter 1, okay, is where we're going to start, which I'm in First John, chapter 2. We're going to go to chapter 2, verse 2. So we're going to read the entire first chapter and then the first two verses of the second chapter. So follow along. Here we go. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we, we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also, uh, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, uh, his son, purifies us of all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we, de deceive ourselves the, uh, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us, of our, um, forgive us our, our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay, beginning of chapter 2. My dear, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The Word of the Lord. All right. So, right away... In this very first verse of chapter 1, John is making his point. 
he is not pulling any punches. Uh, he doesn't kind of, you know, lead them into anything. He doesn't, you know, start off soft and, and really try to catch them off guard. He just slams them with it. Okay. So we're going to be referring to the book of John here for just a second. I'm going to read the first five verses of the first chapter of John. Um, I didn't get this to Vicki in, in time to get this on the slide, so you're just going to have to listen as I read it to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All right? I want you to keep those in mind as we look at these first four verses here. That which was from the beginning. That phrase, from the beginning. John uses that at the beginning of, of the Gospel of John, right? In the beginning. And when we talked about that several weeks ago, I mean, we have to think back, like almost a month now. Several weeks ago, we talked about how in 1 John, when he uses those words, in the beginning, that was meant to hearken us all the way back to Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, So in the very beginning of all things, the Word was with God. The Word was God. And we talked, what does the Word represent when John uses that term? Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And so he says, okay, from the very beginning, giving them the point that he's going to be talking about Jesus here, because he's taking the, the, the readers of 1 John, and he's bringing them to the readers of to the book of John that they have already read. In the beginning was the word. In the very beginning, that which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. First verse, he just smacks them across the face with it. He says, listen, guys, all the things that we have heard about the word, and he talks about it here as the word of life, we have heard him. We have seen him with our eyes. We have touched him with our hands. Like he was present with us, physical, not this metaphysical idea or concept out there. Like that isn't what it was. The word of life was flesh in front of us. And he connects this concept he makes in the Gospel of John where he talks about the word being God and then he says the word is life in John. He says, the word is life. It, all life comes from the word. Everything that was created or ever will be created was created through the word, Jesus. And thus he is the word of life. And now he is the, he is the life eternal. He is the source of eternal life for those who believe in him is what he's trying to get to. All right. Another way to read this from the beginning can also have to do with the beginning of the church. 
Okay, the church is, is new, newer. It wasn't brand new at this point. The book of First John was written, we believe, around 95 AD. So this is some time after Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. So the church has been growing, has been formulating, um, you know, in pocket areas. It's not unified yet. And, and the apostles' job was to try to keep all these little groups unified. Okay? And so he is saying that from the beginning of this, we have testified about Jesus. And this is what we've said about him. All right? That the life has appeared. We have seen it. We have testified to you about it. And he is the eternal life. All right? He, he's reiterating this point in the first four verses here. That, that Jesus is this life, that he is God, that he has come and he has appeared among us. And he want, they want them to understand that we're telling you this so that you hear it and that you will correct what you're learning, what you're living out, so you can re-enter the fellowship that, that they are part of, which is the, the, the followers of Christ. And John reiterates that listen, our fellowship is the one where we are in fellowship with the Father. We are in fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ. To make sure they understand that the fellowship you're with is not of that fellowship right now and needs to come back to that fellowship. You know, he's very open with that. It's not like you know, he's pulling, he, he's not trying to lead them softly to the idea that, hey, you might be wrong and this is the way. He's like, you're wrong. You need to come to the place where you're right, and we're in the place where it's right, and it's because we're in connection with God right now. Okay, so he's very upfront in these first four verses. He has to he has to set the stage so that the rest of his book, this rest of this letter, will land at home. Okay, so we're going to go to verse five here. This message that we have heard from him, meaning Jesus, we've heard this message from Jesus, and we are now declaring it to you that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. To the Christians, that makes sense. We understand that. We believe that God is light, that there is no evil in him. And for most pagans in that day and age, that's a pretty easy concept to get around their, head, their heads around as well. Most deities, in, in their sense, were good to some extent. They, they all believed they were good. And that it was only when the followers of whatever deity was not doing what the, the, the God wanted them to be doing that they saw sort of the darker side of a deity. Does that make sense? They got the retribution, the judgment of a deity. So that's why they sacrificed all the time. Okay. So that the concept is not hard for people to grasp. Now, in our culture today, the idea that God is light and there is no darkness in him is a little bit harder to get our heads around. We who have grown up in the church, if you've grown up in the church, that's not hard to get your head around. But in a pluralistic world where we are, we, we live in, in gray a lot of times. Black and white is not as accepted in our world today. And, and we believe that there is a lot of gray in the middle there. And most people believe that they that it's okay to be in the gray right and most of us live in the gray and god is moving us towards the light so just to get that under your head or in your head and we're going to talk more about that that we're going to be moving towards the light okay now when we are talking to people in the world and they don't know that god is light 
it's because they get filled in this culture with all of these imageries of deities that are just like you and me. They're subject to emotional outbursts. They can have um, flaws and weaknesses, and just like you and you and I. Uh, if you watch any superhero movie in the world today, uh, these are god-type figures that have been that are in human form. It it's it can be dangerous if we try to ever attribute those kind of imageries to God Himself or to Jesus Himself. So be, we need to be careful of that in our culture. So He says, "God is light; there is no darkness in Him." Meaning, with the assumption that if there is darkness in us, then that is not of God. Okay. And he goes on to say that if we claim to be in fellowship with God, yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, will purify us of all sin. Okay, this is John saying, listen, don't talk the talk. If you can't walk the walk, don't talk the talk. Meaning if you can't back up what you're saying, with how you live out your life, then there's a problem. And it needs to be rectified. And the only way to rectify it is through Christ. We, we can't say one thing and do another. It, it's a lie. And we're not living out the truth that is the message of Christ. And we're all guilty of it at one point or another. And that's okay. Uh, and we're going to learn about that it being okay. Because... Later in verse two of or verse one of chapter two, he says, "Listen, hey, hey, hey you're going to mess up, and it's okay, because we have an advocate next to the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, and he he will purify us. Because if we can confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness." Verse eight, uh, verse nine. Okay, but we have to understand that we need Christ. No, there's a brokenness without him. Verse 8 says that if, we're, if we claim to be without sin, then we are lying to ourselves, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We live in a delusional world if we think that there isn't some kind of brokenness in all of us. If you look at every religion in the world, and I mean almost every religion in the world, there is some kind of a need for retribution or, or um, for... Uh, repentance of some kind, a change of a person. Because there's a brokenness between the deity and the mortal. I mean, you can look all the way back in, in history. I mean, even pagan cultures, uh, you know, the Mayans, the wherever you want to look, they made sacrifices to deities in hopes of being in right relationship with them in order that they would not be punished. So this concept that we in Christianity have where Christ died in order for us to be in right relationship with Him is not unique to only Christianity. And so we as a people have to understand that we need to solve that brokenness, that there is a brokenness. In the beginning, when God created everything, He created humanity and they were perfect without sin. And then Adam and Eve were deceived into believing they needed to be able to make 
the decision of what was right and wrong for them. And they thought that was a good idea at the time because they didn't understand it, hence the deception. They didn't get that it was a trap. They didn't understand that they shouldn't be the one deciding when it was right and wrong. But they made the choice, and when they did that, what they ultimately said was, we don't trust your judgment, God, to determine what is right and wrong. Instead, I'm going to determine what is right and wrong for me. And it is, you know, centuries later, millennia later, we are now at a place where every single one of us gets to make our decision on our own, and no one is allowed to tell you you are right or wrong in that. But God says, that's not how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to trust that he knows best, that what is right and wrong, and we just have to believe that he is going to lead us in what is right in our lives. Okay? And once we know that that is there, once we know the sin is there, and we confess it, as I've already said, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us. In His grace, He removes it and He purifies us of all unrighteousness that live in us. Because if we claim that we're not sinners, we're telling God He's a liar. Because we have this book that was written over millennia by the Spirit-leading men to write out these stories, to write out the history of God to write out the story of Christ and how He died on the cross for our sins and how it was so important that it has lasted another two millennia and we're still believing it, if we say, we're not really, it's okay, we're not doing the wrong thing, we don't need this anymore, then what we're saying is it was for nothing. That Jesus was for nothing. That God came to earth, lived a life just like you and me, who put Himself through torture and death so that you could be free, but we're like, eh, we don't really need it. Because it's not really neat. It's not really necessary. It's so dangerous to live a life like that. It's so arrogant to think that we are without need for salvation. And then he goes on to say that when we do sin, we have the advocate. We have Christ there at the Father's side to help us, to forgive us, because He died for our sins. But not only your sins, but for for the sins of everyone. From the beginning of time, Adam and Eve's sins, to whoever's going to be the last person alive, that person sins too. God died for them all. He died. when, When Jesus died on the cross, He took all of that sin on Himself, and then He Put it in the ground and it's done. So that we have the ability, the freedom to be in relationship with Him. So what I want us to understand, and this is where we're really going to focus now. When John starts to talk about sin in this chapter, he is referring to sin in a singular form. We in the church so often talk about Christ died for our sins, the plural form of sin. But John starts by saying Christ died for sin. So what it is is, and what John wants us to understand is that there is this overarching thing or concept called sin. 
It is the very root of all sin. We in the church refer to it as, in, as original sin. It's this idea or this concept that I am the one in charge. It's this idea, it's this root of self-will. and Self-righteousness, really. And then what happens is when we live in that, which everybody is, everybody who's ever existed, lives under the thing of the original sin when they're when they're born as we grow in grow up in that we begin to create habits and actions which are the acting out of the sin or we begin sinning the acts of sins and those become sins the plural form okay does that make sense now if you've never if you don't know if you don't you can't really get your head around what original sin is. I want you to look at children, okay? I watch my four children, I have four of them, that, and they're just like living examples of original sin. They really are. Even in my little three-year-old, I love my kids, so don't get me wrong. They, they're not bad kids at all. But the, you see the concept of original sin in children because they're so young, they don't really understand like fully the concept of right and wrong, but they already know the word mine. This is mine. Or no. They know the word no pretty early on. Like if you say, I want you to go here. No, meaning I don't trust your will. I want my will, which is I'm not going. That's the concept of original sin. It's this idea that I get to determine what is right for me. And right now, a go-gurt is right for me, Dad. Now, maybe it's been a while since you have seen or been around little children. Um, mostly, you probably have grandkids since so you've seen your grandkids. Uh, but maybe you have teenage grandkids or kids, and it, they're the exact same as a three-year-old. So you just look at a teenager. Their, their original sin issues are just a lot bigger than Gogurt now. But they're redefining what is right and wrong for their lives. And under proper guidance of parents, that is a healthy thing to determine good things in their lives. You know, guide them in the paths of God, right? You don't, you don't just let them have free will to do whatever they want. Because when you do let them have free will to do whatever they want, it can go really wrong. Right? Sorry, that was like a big analogy for what original sin is. Okay, so that thing that is sin is what Jesus died on the cross for. When he died, that big umbrella thing was destroyed. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we looked at the idea of sin as a credit card. We said when you, are, um, when you have your sin credit card, you're racking up debt and those are your sins. You know, you're just living your life, doing what is right or you know, what you think is right or wrong, and you're creating sin, a sin debt. And a lot of people think that when Jesus died on the cross, he just erases your debt. But that's not really what happens, because you still have the credit card, right? When you erase your debt, you still have the credit card. And you can just rack up the debt again. That's not what happened on the cross. What happened on the cross is God didn't just erase your debt, what he did is he took the very structure that your credit card of sin is based on and he destroyed that so your credit card of sin no longer works. You can no longer rack up your sin debt again. Okay. Now, as a Christian, when we ask Christ into our lives, we are 
asking him to forgive us of our sins, and he totally removes that original sin out of your life. Now, we still have habits. We still have sinning, acts of sin in our lives. That's the thing we are asking for forgiveness for. We're asking for God to forgive us of these bad choices we've made. And what the best way I like to think of it is, is the habits we form when we live our lives. When we live our lives, if you start to make a bad choice, that first time, it might have really been a challenge to make that choice because maybe there's uh, the small voice in your head saying, hey, don't do that, or you have a parent who's saying that's not a good idea, or whatever, but then you've made the choice. The second time that kind of a situation shows up again, it's a little easier to make that choice. By the time you've made that choice multiple times, you're not even thinking anymore when you're making the choice. You're just making the choice. It's, it, it's habitual sin. It's this idea of sin is all habitual. We do it out of habit. So what Christ does when he comes into our lives is he begins to, as it says in 1 John chapter 1, he begins to purify our lives of all sin. So we accept him into our lives. We thank him for forgiving us of the sins. And now what we do is we open our hearts up to him. Think about your heart, our heart like a house. We open up all the closets, all of the dark spaces that we keep things hidden. And we say, okay, Christ, come in here. Take your black light. Find all of the habits of sin or the things I maybe don't even know are sins and help me to identify them so that through you, Christ, I have the ability to begin to stop doing those things. And I'll tell you right now, it is only through Christ that we can stop those. Because when I was growing up, oh, I tried to stop my sinful habits so many times under my own power, and woo! I do not have the willpower on my own. It was not until I stopped and I said, okay, Christ, I need you to help me stop, that I could. Right? Now, the Nazarene faith, or the Nazarene tradition, it's the Christian faith, but the Nazarene tradition that we are part of, has been criticized in the past for being a tradition that emphasizes strong works-based faith. faith. And the fact that, what that means is that you do things in order to have salvation. And there are other traditions in uh, the Christian faith that uh, emphasizes strongly the grace of God, which covers all your sins. And that's true too. And so here's the thing is we are kind of on a, there, there's these polarized sides and we tend to be more on this work side than strong faith thing. We believe strongly in the faith, the grace of God is the thing that saves you. Without that grace, you have no hope. It is only through grace that you can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can be purified. But people think because we say the word sanctification, big word, which is basically to be to become more like Christ, to become um, more perfect, and that's that's the word that gets people is to think that you can work yourself into perfection. That's not what happens. But because we in the Nazarene Truth Church believe in this idea of uh, that God is refining us or, or purifying us into a more pure form of who we could be, that we think that, that or it, it, we get criticized that it's very much on do you do the right things and don't do the wrong things. 
But here's the, here's the truth about our faith, our tradition, and I think all faiths, all traditions in our faith, is that um, we don't do any of the work. Christ does it all. Because Christ is the one who died on the cross for you. Christ is the one who forgives you. The only thing that we are responsible to do as a believer is to believe and to trust that he forgives us and that he is working in us. Okay? The rest of it is him. He'll come inside of you. He will begin to, uh, the Holy Spirit will begin to tell you these different things that we need to work on. And he is the one who gives you the strength to change. You do not have the strength to change on your own. It is only through Christ. It is only through his work that we have the ability to, to come out of it and to become more pure. Now, just like a habit is formed, where the more you do it, the easier it is to do the habit, it's the exact same with the undoing of a habit. Okay? The more that you don't sin, the easier it is to say no to the temptation that leads to that sin. Hence, sanctification. Hence, purification. We become more pure by living out Christ's redemption in us, His transformation in us, through prayer, through reading our scriptures, through spending time with Him instead of spending time in the other things that would lead us away from Him. Now, the temptation does not go away. The devil is the biggest car salesman out there. He is going to keep hounding you to buy the car. He's going to keep hounding you to come back to the habits. And I'll tell you, it's hard sometimes to say no to those things because they were habits. And it's okay. if you have fallen, if you do step back into it, John tells you, listen, if it happens, it's okay. We still have the advocate. Ask for forgiveness and he will step you back into the right path. If you fall, ask for forgiveness. You are not lost because you sinned again. You are not lost because you have been sinning for a while now. You just ask for forgiveness again and He will pick you up and He will bring you back onto the path of purification. For some of us, we've been on that path for a while. For others, we've been on the path a long time. And it's a well-worn path in our lives. And that's awesome. We praise God for that. For others, we're maybe new to the path. And maybe there's people out there who, because we're on the interwebs, right? There's people out there who aren't even on the path yet. And you're just hearing for the first time that you need to be on the path. I told the first service that if we're not in Christ, we're the walking dead. You're a zombie. For some of you, as I can tell from your reaction, is you don't, maybe don't know what a zombie is. It's a pop cultural concept. A zombie is a dead corpse that is animated and moving around. Right? If we don't have Christ in our lives, if we haven't accepted Him and asked for forgiveness, we live in that sinning place. And sin is death, the Bible says. So you're a walking dead person, which is a zombie. And I stayed on that concept for a long time in first service. I'm not going to this service. (laughs) 
We need Christ. And if you haven't maybe come to Him in a while to sort of just open the closets back up, we're going to do that today. And if you're out there and maybe you've never opened the closets up, maybe you've never opened your life up to Him, we're going to have you give you an opportunity to accept Him into your life today. To say, yes, I want to be a new creation in Him. I want to have new life. And the beauty about this is, is you don't have to already be doing it right to come to Him. Honestly, He wants you to come to Him dirty. He wants you to come to Him in your habits. He wants you to come to Him as you are so that you can rid yourself of the shame and you can say, okay, I'm a mess because I am a mess and I need you, Christ. I need you to purify me and make me righteous. And He will. That is the joy of Christ in us. That is the joy of the fact that He is risen. He is risen indeed. I did that first service too, kind of midstream. You didn't know what to do. He's not still lying in a tomb. He is alive. And He wants to live in us. He wants to purify us. He wants to move with us. And if you've been on this journey for a while, I guarantee you there's people in your life who need you to be praying for them. Just All you have to do is pray for them. Maybe talk to them if it comes up. But we can be the intercessors for those who don't already know Him. To be praying for those people in your life. But I want to take this moment and I want us to pray because I do believe there are people out there who have never accepted him. And I do believe there are people who have, who have, like John said, who have sort of fallen off the path for a while and need the opportunity to ask for forgiveness. So will you pray with me? And if this is your first time, if you've never prayed um, uh, to, to God, it's just like talking to him. There's nothing special about it. It's just talking to the creator of the universe. And I want you to repeat after me. You can do it in your heart if you want. Or repeat after me. Dear Holy Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that you are the gift of eternal life. I need your forgiveness for my sins. I confess that I am broken. I confess that there are areas in my life that is not pleasing to you. Please forgive me. Come and clean those areas. Purify my spirit. Help me to break the sinful habits. I give you the praise. We thank you for your love. Amen. If this is your first time accepting Christ into your life, I, I pray and I encourage you to Find a church if you're not already connected to a church. We have a great church, Possible Church of the Nazarene. Just going to throw my plug in there for us. But if you find a church and get connected, be learning. Pray to God. It just means talking to God. And He'll, he'll lead you and He'll guide you now. 
Praise God. So John is, is telling us that, listen, there is a hope that is greater than all things because we don't have to continue to live a life full of the habits that pull us away from Jesus. We have this ability to be different, to be more, to be pure. And it's such a gift. And it's what we celebrate. It's what we, yeah, it's just what we celebrate around this time. And we should celebrate all the time, and we do most of the time. But like, that's what Easter is all about, is this gift that we get to accept in our lives and that we can be transformed. We get to celebrate that. I encourage you to just be thinking of people in your life. Be praying for them. If God leads you to engage with them, follow His leading. He won't let you fall. Okay? We get to celebrate Easter every day of our lives. Let's, let's in, invite others to celebrate with us. Yeah? Okay, we're going to do one more of these. Because I didn't do it at the beginning of the sermon. And I've been kind of kicking myself mentally. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Will you pray with me? Lord, you are amazing. Wow. Your love for us is so overwhelming. It's so hard to articulate how much we thank you. Father, I pray for anyone out there who still doesn't know you. Lead them. Guide them. Call them towards you. And if we have any, if we can be at any help in that, Lord, lead us. Help us to be sensitive to that leading. Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for the fact that you, you're purifying us and making us more and more like you. Lord, that can be an up and down journey, but we want to take it with you. We thank you that you pick us up when we fall down. You are our everything. We want your will in our lives. We trust you with all of what we have. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to have a song, and I'm going to come back up and do a benediction. But then we're going to show a video at the very end. Unfortunately, we can't show it online, so don't get up at the very end, okay?
pray that as you go out today, that you will go out in the joy and celebration of the love of God that was shown to us by Christ, knowing that He walks with you, He guides you, and He purifies you every day. So as we go, I pray that you'll go in peace.